the more refined we can make that technology, the better we can do it, and the more unique we can make that to the to the U.S. If you like, the better. But then, in order to make us better as a sport and us better as a national governing body in the United States, access to that for coaches is really important. Mm-hmm. So, one of the mistakes I think that a lot of national governing bodies, not just in the U.S. but worldwide, make is we have something over here for high performance and it's really good, but we don't give it to our guys who are coaching the next generation. That's what we need to do. You're listening to Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. Hello and welcome to Sports Tech Feed. I'm your host, Thomas Loams. Great to have you join us again this week. On today's show, we're joined by Phil Andrews, CEO of USA Weightlifting. Phil was appointed Chief Executive Officer of USA Weightlifting in April 2016, having held the post on an interim basis since December 2015. With responsibility for overseeing strategy and operations of the organization, he has helped transform the sport, overseeing a complete change of culture within weightlifting, which has seen the membership in the United States almost treble since he took over. Phil has also restructured the operations governance of USA Weightlifting, supported significant reform internationally, especially in the area of anti-doping, hosted three International Weightlifting Federation World Championship events, created the first independent ethics and judicial process, and overseen the best high-performance results in 60 years. Prior to his roles with USA Weightlifting, Phil worked in professional ice hockey for British champions Coventry Blaze. He learned how to grow a minority sport alongside Team GB and served in the founding board of the British University Ice Hockey Association, as well as the charity Hockey Stars for Hope. This conversation with Phil is very important, very timely, talking about NGB's national governing bodies bouncing back from the pandemic, uh, and really technology sits at the heart of their ability to do that. So Phil's got some fantastic examples of how USA Weightlifting has succeeded in that, how it sees at-home fitness and connected fitness uh, in terms of its its future growth, whether they're, they're friend or foe, uh, and how it can help grow the sport. So Great to have Phil on the show. As I mentioned, I'm your host, Thomas Loans from Sports Tech World Series. We're the global sports technology community offering research consulting and advisory services uh, to a range of different sports organizations, NGBs, sports tech vendors, investors, and governments. If anything on here sparks your interest about how we could help you uh, and you'd like to get in touch, feel free to reach out to me, thomas at sportstechworldseries.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn and we can continue the conversation there. Thanks again for joining us on Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. Over to Phil. Phil Andrews, CEO of USA Weightlifting. Welcome to Sports Tech Feed. Great to have you on the show. Thanks. Appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. So for people that aren't familiar with USA Weightlifting as a NGB national governing body within sports, what, what are the roles and responsibilities for the organization? So a national governing body effectively runs a sport day-to-day domestically. So um, you have the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee. Their responsibility is primarily, as the name suggests, the Olympics and Paralympics. So a little known fact is that they, in theory, don't have athletes, save for three weeks per games every two years. We have the athletes for the rest of the time, and we have the athletes from the grassroots upwards. So uh, Joe Bloggs, who wants to be, or Jill Bloggs, indeed, who wants to be a weightlifter in Des Moines, Iowa, or Anchorage, Alaska, or Miami, Florida, we're their organization, right up to your world championships and your Olympians. So we look after that pyramid, and then we hand them off effectively for two or three weeks every couple of years, winter and summer, to the USOPC and on our sports weightlifting. So we're responsible for that sport 365 days of the year, seven days a week, uh, and so on and so forth. That ranges from development to high performance, um, from clubs to 
you're the athletes you've heard of from marketing the sport to developing a community around that sport and of course today's subject uh, technology needs underpinning the sport yeah and, and is that a pyramid is that actually a pyramid when you think of it classically i mean that that's a whole different um kind of area that we won't delve too much into but is it a pyramid from the bottom to i, I think it, it really is you, you could also think of it the other way like a funnel um, so you know, in traditional sales training, you have a sales funnel where you put a bunch of leads into the top and that ends up in your sales down here. Sport's not terribly dissimilar. You have a lot of people here. The more people you have in here, the better chance you have of finding the natural talent that you need that you can develop into those world champions and Olympians or world championship athletes and Olympians. So the job of an NGB is to grow that funnel wider and wider and wider so you can fit more people into it and stand more chance of getting those elite athletes. If you look in the U.S. sport, a lot of the ones that do really well in the U.S., gymnastics is a classic example. You have a lot of female gymnasts in this country. Or what happens is you have a better chance of finding your Simone Biles or your Laurie Hernandez. Um, or you marry Lee Redden, depending on your age, um, which depends on which you'll buy into of those, coming through that, that funnel when you have more there. So a key part of a national governing body is making that funnel wider and knowing what to do when you get to the, the bottom of the funnel. But you're right, pyramid structure, same thing. The, the top of the pyramid is, for us, CJ Cummings, Kate Nye, Jordan Delacruz, Sarah Robles, and the bottom of the pyramid is every weightlifter in America, including though, and this is a little bit of a difference to that analogy, masters, for example. So we have athletes who start at age 56, 57, and that's okay. They're just as much part of the sport and part of the community because A, we have a responsibility to run the sport for those people, but B, the way that they contribute to that structure that we just talked about is that 56 or 57-year-old might bring in their son or daughter or grandson or granddaughter or their niece or someone they just know into the gym. And that's how that spreads the sport away of thing. Yeah. And why it's reflected in a lot of the coverage of the NGBs is the success metrics are participation at a grassroots level, but then also gold medals, world championships, whatever else um, at that top of the pyramid or the bottom of the funnel, depending on which way you're looking at it. Yeah. And as a nonprofit, we have missions and, and, our, our mission really can be split into three distinct parts. One is that high performance group, which are, you know is the is is what most people know national government bodies for is the success of the Olympics, the success of World Championships, Pan American Games in Britain, the Commonwealth Games, or Canada Commonwealth Games, and so on and so forth. The second part of that that we see is community and building that community and a safe place for for you to to execute your sport. And the third is growing the sport community that means growing the number of the community to participation because those are two very different disciplines they're related but they're very different disciplines of how do i get an athlete to be the best in the world versus how do i simply get an athlete to step into the gym yeah and what have you seen the biggest impact of technology um at those different levels I actually maybe, say this. I guess maybe a two part of that is also some examples of how technology is, is um, used at all those different levels. Yeah. And, and so in our sport, I think initially we saw more interestingly on the participation side. And some of that has become even more the case during COVID um, than it has been. So first of all, because we're an individual sport, we have seen a lot of use of technology in coaching. Um, 
in the grassroots side. And I'll come on to how that kind of, that translates up to the, the high performance side in a little bit. But the the grassroots side, now you can access a coach who might be in California, anywhere in the world. So um, that coach from Los Angeles or that coach from Seattle, or that coach from Boston, wherever it is, can coach you anywhere. And that is really opened up access to weightlifting for a lot of people, especially in more rural areas that otherwise couldn't get there. It's also opened up those high-level coaches. If you didn't have a great coach for a small sport in your area, you can now access that coach mm -hmm. via Zoom, but also via online technology platforms for coaching specifically, like Train Heroic, for example, or Train IQ, and so on and so forth. There's plenty of, of those platforms out there. Um, there. The other side that we've seen is competitions, and that really grew during COVID because of necessity. That again, we're an individual sport. We can have you compete in Austin, Texas, or in Boston, Massachusetts, or frankly, even if you're stuck in Germany, or if you're on a military base in Germany or Japan or Korea. And we've seen that. In fact, you know, one of the things that really meant a lot during the early pandemic is we had a, uh, an athlete reach out from Dead Horse, Alaska and said, I've never been able to compete. Now I can. Thank you. Please mm -hmm. keep doing this. And so that's one reason we are going to keep doing this as we come out of the pandemic. And we ran the first hybrid event in the world, which meant we had people in person and people competing online against each other in the way that they would do if they were all in person. And there's a few things to that. One is the sheer technology side of that, of how do we pull that off? How do we make it happen? But the other thing is, now we've just saved a cost barrier, particularly in the United States. So compared to a Great Britain, where, okay, my, lot, my longest possible journey for a competition is eight hours drive. In, if I live in, in Denver. If I go eight hours east or west, I only just reach the next major city, Kansas City and Salt Lake City. So in the US, you have a cost to that travel. So we've taken that away by introducing hybrid events. That opens up barriers to participation. Same thing about refereeing. Our sport is unusual because you need almost as many referees to run an event or run a platform as you do competitors. In fact, in some cases, there's more because you need 11 per session across all the different roles. Now, I can have a referee sit at their house in in. Denver, Colorado, and referee an in-person competition in Salt Lake City, which really helps, again, drive down cost and drive up the ability to participate. That doesn't mean in-person competitions are totally gone, but it means that we've got these new ways of engaging with people where they are, and coaches have a new way of engaging with them where they are, so that now your ability to be near a great coach, your ability to be near a gym, your ability to be near an event no longer matters. And that's a great way to grow, to build the grassroots. So that's one side of it. The other place we've seen it is in the high performance coaching side. We now, again, using some of the same technology, are mentor coaches. We don't really have a head coach in USA weightlifting. We decentralized after the 2016 Olympic Games and really pushed those resources out to the field. So the job of our, our to call it, call it something easier than to call them head coaches for the purposes of this conversation, uh, Mike Gatto and Pierre Stimas, based out of Chicago, their job is to support people in the field, not to coach themselves. Yep. But now we can see those people lifting. We can see those people um, and, and their coaches, again, using technology, and we can get information from them, data, 
around their biomechanics and around their how they're feeling, around their psychology, around their injuries. Um, uh, at Coach Me Plus was who we first used, and we've now got some more bespoke methods of doing that around the country for our elite athletes. And that really helps us build those relationships and build trust with those athletes and build communication with those athletes and the personal coaches right across the country and indeed again abroad. Um, indeed, during the pandemic, we actually had in uh, international level camps done via Zoom. Um, we had selection for international teams done via Zoom. And, and you know, that was very basic technology but it was good stuff that we could use, again, to keep those connections going. What's happened? We look at the European championships. Some of the European teams weren't able to be as proactive in keeping people training as we were using those technology solutions. And as a result, when you compare our results in the US against the Europeans, we're coming out very favorably. Yeah. Right now, as we're sitting there talking, our Competitors are down in the Pan American Championship, and we're seeing Asian championships occur in Uzbekistan. So we don't know how we're exactly comparing against Uzbekistan and the Asians yet. Um, and the African Championships are coming up as well, as is the Oceanic Championships. And the Oceanics, and unfortunately, will be after the games. Um, so we don't know how they're performing against us, but we know that we did really well against Europe already. And then with there's bespoke technology where we can really get deeper into the data and the biomechanics of each athlete, which is where I see advantages coming for Team USA. That's where we can partner with the Technology Innovation Fund, which I believe you're familiar with at the USOPC to help fund bespoke technology for our sport. A little bit like TrackMan in track and field, which you might be familiar with. Um, where we can look at bar path, we can look at velocity on that bar, not just for us, but against our competitors and understand what shape is the Germans in, what shape uh, are the French in, what shape are the Chinese in, the Iranians, or whoever it is that we're up against that particular day, and understand that in real time. Um, another area we're using quite a lot of technology is, is just data processing itself. We, we have a, a, a former economist, actually, we work with very deliberately from outside of the sport, he uses data technology to look at, okay, if we take this weight, let's say it's 100 kilos, what weight can we push our opponent to before they break based upon levels of probability? So we're using technology to look at that. We're also using it to look at doping as well. Um, we've built models based upon, this is getting more statistics necessarily than technology, but we're using technology to get there. Uh, and build models around what does a what does a doper look like in weightlifting mm. and what, what results kind of leap in performance or leap yeah. recovery that that is when it's put against their historical performances um, yeah the red flag yeah exactly so where should we red flag athletes of alerting USADA here domestically and the ITA internationally to based upon those those where are we where should where should we be supporting them with data to look at those efforts it doesn't mean they are doping, but it means they share some similarities to former dopers. Hmm. And then the one thing I'll add to that, and I know I've, I've, I've whittled on now for about 10 solid minutes, so I apologize, but our sport's an ancient sport. People have been trying to figure out who can lift more for an eternity. And we're an original Olympic sport that's been in the game since 1896. So we have a lot of very embedded technique work, but also a long amount of that. So where are the advantages for a new team coming in going to be? And the answer to that is 
technology. If you can get out there and understand more using technology, which is where I'm talking about the biomechanics, you have got an advantage over others. And is that, is that I mean, so this is an age-old kind of debate, um, discussion around technology versus gut coaching and, and the expertise. And I think, thankfully, it's, it's a debate that's fairly settled in the sense of technology is there to support the coach. It's not throwing one out and, you know, going all in the other. It's not this kind of art versus science uh, mentality. It's going, well, the coaching expertise will always be needed. The point about technology is that you can augment, um, uh, refine, um, but also in, in the examples that you've listed, you can distribute that knowledge. So uh, one thing that I've seen for a long time in, in uh, weightlifting uh, specifically is the application of artificial intelligence and computer vision because it's one exactly. of the reports that it is so technique heavy. You know if an elbow, a knee or whatever, another part of the body is out of alignment, it's going to affect performance. Um, and it's something that you can see someone front on. You don't have the issue of a ball whizzing past. You don't have the issue of you know, other players. Um, in terms of being able to do that, it, it lends itself very naturally to, as you said, artificial intelligence with biomechanics, obviously computer vision. Um, and that's an area that's improving rapidly, especially in, in the capture of that. You don't need to have a big camera set up. You don't need to have you know, a, a data warehouse where you process all that. You can do things with phones. You can do things in the cloud. You can do things at the edge um, that are speeding up. With all that said, where do you want it to go? Where, where is where is it, is it one of those things that you envisage, well, every single one of your athletes from grassroots to pro has access to um, computer vision, artificial intelligence, coaching, and then the coaches can spend more time on the, the refinement? Or is it one of those things yeah. that um, the real value add is, is just the fact that you can, like, zoom? What, what's more important? Is it the super high-tech AI stuff or is it the fact that, well, now I can just video people? Well, I think I think the both are important. The, the the access stuff and the basics are really important to utilize things as basic as Zoom to do things well. Number one, number two. But on you know talking about going back to the high performance side, the more refined we can make that technology, the better we can do it, and the more unique we can make that to the to the US, if you like, the better. But then in order to make us better as a sport and us better as a national governing body in the United States, access to that for coaches is really important. Mm -hmm. So one of the mistakes I think that a lot of national governing bodies, not just in the US, but worldwide make is we have something over here for high performance and it's really good, but we don't give it to our guys who are coaching the next generation. That's what we need to do. So once we've got it right up here, giving it to the guys who are going to the Olympics and those coaches and they've helped us refine it, we need to do a couple of things. First of all, what's really important about what's coming out of this biomechanics technology, AI, and so on and so forth? What is really useful to those coaches day to day? Because ultimately, the coach is still to coach the athlete. You can't overwhelm the athlete with overwhelming amounts of information and data. You just can't because, all right, what do you want me to work on? Um, so the job of the coach becomes interpreting a lot of that data and how they use that data to become a better coach. And that, that, and you know, when I say data, I'm including that bar pop, I include in that visual, I include in that um, the the you know, when I say bar path, I'm not just talking about the sort of age old dartfish curl, if you like. 
I'm talking about how far does the bar move out and inwards from the body? How far does the bar move? You know, it's those micro movements mm. really important in weightlifting because the more efficient you are with the bar, the more you lift. So first of all, getting that better, getting that into the place it needs to be, which is not terribly dissimilar if you think about it to diving because you've got the, the athlete coming off of the board, they're spinning, how fast they spin, what's the movement there, and then down into the water. It's not terribly similar to throwing, same thing with the, the circle before the, you launch the, the shot part or the discus. And similarly, how, you know, what's the velocity, what's the angle of that discus, et cetera. Very similar challenges to, to what we're talking about in weightlifting. So the first thing is refining all of that and getting it good. Second thing is, all right, coaches who are using this, we think that these 17 items that this tells you are really great. Which ones do you actually use? Mm. Which ones are the four or five that actually matter, that can make an impact? Because is it useful for me to tell you that your bar is a centimeter further out? What can you do with that? Mm. Is it important? It might be, it's still nice to measure that. And okay, it's something we can do some exercises around, but it's not really that important. What I want to know is, you know, how, at what point do I program my athlete to get the maximum velocity on the bar on competition day? That's probably a very important thing for a weightlifting coach because they can control that periodization program. So that's point two. One of these points are actually really important. And then point three, democratizing that. In other words, let's get that to local coach in Austin, Texas, local coach in Denver, Colorado, who's coaching that next generation who can use that to get their athlete better. So when that athlete goes to nationals, the performance goes up, that pushes everybody else up, that pushes the national team up itself. That comes back to the very first thing we talked about, about how, do you, how does national governing body work and how does that pyramid push people to the top? And the, what you really need to do is get to the top of that pyramid, push that information back down here and push it back up through the pyramid. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and one of those concepts, yeah, sorry, yeah, guys, um, to talk over you, one of those concepts that's been really great for us, not just in technology, is the better we can be at local competitions, the better we can be at national competitions, the better we can be at world competitions. And pushing that through the system is really important. And the same applies to technology. Yeah. And to the point earlier, it's um, it's not just the advances in technology isn't just all the products getting better. It, and taking, say, computer vision um, uh, as an example, it's getting cheaper, it's getting faster, and therefore it's getting more accessible. So yeah. that's that's it. You know, the actual end product or whatever it is, it doesn't get any necessarily more accurate or more whatever it is. It's just the units are more accessible. And we've seen that in a whole range of different areas. I mean, GPS units is a, is a prime example from where it started in, in high performance in the military and then through sports teams. And now, you know, I can buy myself a unit that will do pretty much anything that the pros do. Um, but I just don't have the, the, the data expertise to do anything with it. Um, and that's, right. as you said, that's the kind of, that's the knowledge transfer that's important rather than just the individual um, doohickey, individual widget. Uh, it's more going, well, what do I need to know from this? Therefore, what does everyone else in this pyramid below me need to know uh, from it? So what... what and then I think the second element to that is figuring out, um, how should I put this? What is a um, What is a useful gadget and what is not a useful gadget? What is more of a... Uh, you know, flash in the pan. And, and I think you see that across different sports, particularly more popular sports of items that can be 
that, that perhaps even oh, misguided is the wrong word, but perhaps even are a little bit more of a um, technology for the sake of technology versus technology for actual improvement. And I, I'm not sure I've put that quite right, but you see what I'm saying of, all right, what, which of these tools are actually useful to me as, um, as a person in hockey, weightlifting, soccer, football, et cetera, tennis, et cetera, uh, which of these are really not terribly useful? Yeah. On the open market, especially. Yeah. When you bespoke design something, it's different. But on the open market, well, do these actually help? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's personally as an athlete, there's a whole bunch of stuff that it's it's telling me. I mean, even around sleep tracking for me personally, um, that's something I haven't found that useful because I kind of understand my my body better than or as well as what the insights are. Like every single time you've had terrible sleep, you need more sleep. It's like, I know, thank you. <laughs> that wasn't anything, that wasn't anything earth shattering that I particularly needed. Um, but then for a lot of people, it's not that, that push and perform and don't, and they need that. That's something that they need um, in certain areas around recovery. And that's, that's certainly a massive area in terms of technology growth that we're seeing is recovery technology um, is, is just going bananas in terms of, of growth. Cause it's, it's probably an area that hasn't been, um, I guess, treated with the respect it necessarily deserves um, over and beyond the, well, in the movement, in the moment, in the exercise, I want something to tell me what I'm doing. I don't want something to tell me that I shouldn't be doing something, um, you know, on, on the flip side. So, yeah. And that's another area, by the way, that we haven't mentioned where we are using quite a lot of technology is things like Aurora rings with sleep tracking is something that we're doing with our elite athletes. And, and that obviously is a, uh, so-called democratized resource in that you can go and buy one yourself so uh and we have ultimately that's part of our working with a guy called dr jeff dermer who's expert on sleep and works with a number of nfl teams as well as usa weightlifting former uh world level rower actually um and so there's there's ways even outside of the movements itself where where we can help with um with uh the a lot of the elements of sport around sleep, around recovery, uh, we have we're partnered up with Theragun, we're partnered up with Rapid Reboot, we're partnered up with um, with um, a Brainco who've just changed names uh, to Focus Calm, um, and you know, a lot of these different tools can be used really well. And again, it comes down to figuring out which ones of these really help and, and whom. Um, and we've tried a couple of products which just didn't really work, and um, and, and there were more um show than they were useful yeah and how much do you do you work with other ngbs uh on this um, not a heck of a lot because we are a little bit different to most because we lift weights where where we may have onward ability to work with ngbs is in the area of providing them solutions for their strength and conditioning because ultimately what we work on will affect them what they work on may not as much affect us um you know for example working with sailing on how a boat glides through the water is not terribly useful to us in the sport of weightlifting um so it, it, it's there is a surprising lack of coordination between the ngbs on the technology side it just doesn't happen it just means that this isn't a space where we tend to collaborate much 
We do collaborate on high performance as NGBs a little bit more, but we haven't really collaborated specifically on technology terribly much. Yeah, that's really interesting and hopefully an area for improvement. But as you said, it's, um, it's probably the applicability uh, across that, you know, different sports and, you know, different strokes for different folks and then it'll be sport to sport um, depending on what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely similarities. You know, TrackMan is very similar to what we're trying to pull off, but it's a different, when you get down to the technology side, it is fundamentally different. Um, yeah, certainly there are people at the USOPC who have great understanding. Phil Cheatham is a, the, the obvious example of have a great understanding of technology across different sports and how they interact with each other. But they're not, they're not so close where they, learnings can be taken, but they're not so close where necessarily they can be applied in different areas. But But one... We're unique in the sense that we are weightlifting, but we're unique because we can provide back some technology. That one place we do collaborate a little bit more is things like injury tracking, health tracking, that type of area, which is much more common across everybody. Mm. Well, speaking of you know technology that you, as you said, are kind of at the cutting edge, um, looking at what you're trying to do with the biometric stuff. Is there is there anything else that's on the horizon that you want to see developed or implemented over the next few years? So your, your wish list, I guess. I mean, I, I think the use of technology more than the technology development itself is interesting. How does, I think, how do we further improve that bar tracking and the velocity tracking, et cetera, that we've talked about already is number one. But number two, how do we, how do we get from, all right, we've developed some of these systems around hybrid events and online events out of necessity from COVID-19, how do, we world, how do we make that better worldwide? How do we become closer as a sport community, period, especially in weightlifting, to help spread this sport worldwide, but also to make it more accessible as competitions? World Dance Sport has already done their qualification for the Youth Olympic Games using our online platform called Launchpad 6. We started using that for our high school combines to identify new potential athletes. And it was because of that that we knew about Launch World 6. I don't see a reason why in time weightlifting can't get there. There's problems to solve. For example, doping control is one of the obvious ones. Mm -hmm. We solved that in the US by simply going, all right, where are you going to be during your competition? I'm going to be at this place, you know, 124 1st Street, Austin, Texas. Great. Dear USADA, this person's going to be competing at 124 1st Street, Austin, Texas. All right, great. Let's figure out how, how many people we can test and where based upon their actual location. And it worked. We had, mm. you know, I'm sorry to say, we had positives come out of that doping control. And that proved the need to do it, but also the effectiveness of doing it. Uh, Weigh-in is another issue in, in strength sports, but there is technology out there already that's used in the fitness and dieting industry, you know, with the general consumer public, which gives you the ability for scales to upload to uh, a, a database. That's the answer here. And you know, how do you calibrate those scales becomes a bit of an issue. That's got to be solved. But there are solutions to have um, all of those things solved over time. Yeah. And as you said, when they're married together with other improvements, and especially in data analytics, you go, well, you get better at predicting um, uh, doping athletes. So maybe it's that's where you allocate resources more. So you say, well, Correct. for the for the few people that we are going to, you know, send out our teams or, or get the SADA, as you said, or whoever the other doping authorities are, you say, well, actually, we think this athlete's at risk. Maybe you should go focus on them as much as right. they can. So it's, 
it's it's kind of not seeing things in isolation or siloed it's these solutions as they all incrementally improve in different areas well that's right you look at things that are starting to get into people's homes and how the fitness industry's changed you look at mirror uh, mirror was acquired by lululemon and has think quadrupled its um its value in that time um and is essentially a a weightlifting app, to be mm. honest. You know, it, it's it's a weightlifting app in in terms of the same way Peloton is for cycling. But you know, how do we expand the use of the barbell through that type of technology? I think is is rather relevant. So, do, how do, do you think that as an opportunity? Is is that something that because obviously a lot's been made of the gym industry suffering? Um, I think probably only behind the travel industry um, during the pandemic. It, is that something that home fitness and the explosion of connected fitness, as you said, things like um, uh, Lululemon acquiring Mirror, things like Tonal. There's a whole range of um, oh, yeah. smart fitness things that, as you said, you will do classic weightlifting moves. Um, is that a threat or is that an opportunity? From the perspective of a national governing body, I think it's an opportunity. Um, I think it's a threat if you run a gym. I think it's a threat, particularly if you're a large gym chain. But here's what I'll say. I am a member of a local gym and is locally owned here in, in, in Denver, Colorado. I very deliberately don't go to a weightlifting gym. Um, it does pure Olympic weightlifting. I go to a general fitness gym. Um, that gym, I go to for community. I, I pay my monthly fee, as I absolutely should do, and I go there and I'm part of that community. I don't, I don't go there because I need the fitness expertise. I, I clearly have access to rather a lot of that doing what I do. Um, I go there because of the community of that gym and because for me, that's the way I work out best. So I think from that lens, it becomes an opportunity for a national governing body to partner with someone like Error or Tone or even Peloton itself to become a better and bigger NGB. And I think triathlon and cycling in the US have done a really good job of engaging with, with, with some of that, uh, as well as British cycling, I know as well. They've done a good job of engaging in um, uh, Zwift and, and some of the other technology out there in, 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 the, in the racing side. Um, and I think that's been a great way to keep them engaged in the pandemic. And we've done the same thing using Launchpad 6, using our online competitions uh, each month. And I think that there's ways and means that we as national government bodies and sports people can grasp all better. And I think there's challenges in the NGB world with grassroots sport, with elite sport in the NGB world, but also for the pro sports of how do we rethink how we really do this and engage with people? How do we physically engage with people too across every sport? Um, and even in the, in the large spectator sports, how do we use some of this sport technology to, to really engage with people in their own home? So I don't need to leave my house anymore to get a great workout in. I can use the, the remote technology my own coaches are doing to get an Olympic weightlifting work in. I could use Mirror or Tonal or Peloton or similar um, or um, Nordic Track to, to get a great workout in my own home. And actually, over the course of a year, probably spend about the same on a big piece of equipment as I do spending 12 months at a gym. The mistake the fitness industry will make is if they continue to focus on the equipment they have in the gym as opposed to the people they have in the gym because their USP now becomes people. Mirror's USP becomes you don't have to leave your house to get a great workout at. Yeah, yeah. And that's, uh, I mean, we had Andrew McCauley, the CTO of Top Golf, and we, we talked about similar things. It was 
Top Golf would see as a threat to the traditional sport of golf, but really they have shown that they are a, a gateway. They're a, they're a growth strategy for that in the same way that if I have a training set up in my home where I'm, you know, smacking a golf ball into a, an artificial um, golf course and there's a netting and stuff set up, that doesn't mean I'm just going to say, well, this is great. This is everything what I, that I want from the sport of golf. I'm still going to go play 18 holes, play nine holes, um, with my friends and and even if it's a thing around competition i'm still going to go out there and and connect with people so it's it's understanding as you said that um the the differentiator is that social element and i think the same could be said of um of sports people still want to go to sporting matches you know I agree. people don't want to sit at home and and watch it by themselves they still want to be social they want to connect they want to watch it with others it's still and the pandemic has highlighted that i mean this kind of pent-up energy for people to get out of their houses and connect with people, um, I, I think it's it's swinging the pendulum a little bit back more to centre. Um, it just might be that you, yeah, recalibrate what the value that you are giving to people is, and, and that social element is massive. I think that's right. And if you think about, well, I grew up in England, and, you know, if you think about, I mean, I'm in my mid-30s, I grew up in the era of when the first PlayStation and that came out. So if you think about why does the NFL sell out games in England, is it because the NFL did a great job in getting on TV in England and spreading American football in England? No. You know what the biggest thing was? Madden NFL. Mm-hmm. Yep. Sports. That probably spread weightlifting, probably spread, spread the NFL and American football more than any other single tool did. In, in Great Britain. Probably similar. I mean, I, I grew up in ice hockey and I'd said make the same argument about the NHL games and, and even the NBA. Those American sports got into England and were popularized in England a lot because of those of EA sports. Mm. And, and the same is possibly true of soccer in this country. I think um, the women's soccer team in this country has done a phenomenal job in popularizing the sport amongst women. But in terms of knowledge of a Liverpool football club or a Chelsea or Real Madrid, probably the FIFA games did as much for that um, as anything. A lot of people don't think about that, but it's a very similar piece to this technology threat versus uh, opportunity argument is probably the same way that those leagues were thinking about those partnerships with EA Sports 20 years ago. Yeah, and, and how, do you, how do you understand what your value is? Because obviously using a tonal or using a, a mirror or any of those connected fitness, it is very different to um, squatting a, a free weight or whatever it is in the sense of um, you know, the degree of difficulty, the, the kind of, I guess, the, um, for anyone who has lifted something heavy like that where you see your life flash before your eyes when you're trying to push it up or whatever it is, it's, it's that in a gym setting. And, and how do you do it as a positive way? Because certainly bringing people... Um, into the sport that may be intimidated by a traditional gym setting. Um, and that's uh, what's been talked about, this connected fitness and obviously Lululemon's investment where it is about, um, especially with women, empowerment, um, looking at that as a fitness industry, positive ideas, all that kind of stuff. If you can push someone to experience all the positives of that without the, the traditional kind of negatives um, of, you know, meatheads throwing around around weights that has that negative perception then again it opens up the sport and i think top golf again has done something with that with making golf fun in air quotes making it accessible making it easy making it friendly yeah. what andrew talked about is is the hardest part of golf it often is figuring out the the dress code before you even get to the the venue so 
Um, You're exactly right. I mean, that doesn't, you know, we had the same phenomena happen seven, eight years ago in, in a way that's named CrossFit. And it, it's, and, and I think it's, there's a similar parallel to be drawn there of is CrossFit a threat or an opportunity for weightlifting? And, and now, no question, everybody would say opportunity. But back in those days, there was a lot of questions about, well, what is this thing coming in? And the reality is, more people are picking up a barbell. Let's start there. And what Tonal and Mirror are doing for the fitness industry is more people are getting off, up, up, off the sofa. That is where to start. If, you, if you're thinking from a fitness industry perspective and then onwards to weightlifting, that's where we go. So our, you know, the biggest thing I could ask of a Tonal or a Mirror is include the barbell in your workouts. Mm. Period. And that's where we start. Great. Well, I think that's probably a good point to end on. I think talking about, as you said, the beginning NGBs, it's both the elite, but it's also about the participation and the desire is more people getting off the couch. Um, and at the end of the day, that, that leading to more gold medals. And it's, it's quite a purview that you have across that whole ecosystem. So before you do go, Phil, we've got one final question. Uh, and we ask this to all our guests. What is your favorite sporting moment of all time? Mm. It, I, I've probably got two answers to that. One from weightlifting, which will be expected. And, and, uh, and then I'll, I'll think of which one probably meant the most to me personally. Um, I would say from, from our sport, us going one to the 2019 World Championships with Kate and I, um, we set a junior world record while she was there and uh, Mally Rogers for the first time in about 30 years having a one-two on this podium uh, was amazing. I wasn't there in person. I'm sad about that. I'm hoping that is surpassed this summer at the Olympic Games. Um, and we won't have a one-two because you can only have one per body weight category. But we are looking at the best games in 60 years um with uh, and, and three or more medals would see that occur uh, for us so uh, very proud of our girls kate and maddie in particular that moment was extremely special um I, this is fairly recent but the great britain uh beating france to stay in the a level of the world championships for ice hockey was, was special i know what the guys were on that team um, from the year I worked in, in, in British ice hockey. Um, and, and, and that was really special to see how far British ice hockey's come and, and being part of that myself as well, that personal experience again attached to it um, was really huge uh, to, to see that happen. And, and the fact it was a British guy, they beat France to do it was especially gratifying. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I mean, it'd be down to the Germans. It's, um, yeah. Right, exactly. It's, 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 if we'd beaten Germany, that would have been maybe even sweeter. But the fact it was France did make it sweet. Right. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you so much, Phil, uh, for your time. It's, it's really encouraging to hear, I guess, your attitude to, to technology and the kind of development as the head of a um, major NGB. It's, it's certainly something that um, there are some pockets of, I guess, uh, reticence for, for certain sure. organizations. Um, so it, it's good to see that pushing forwards because I think that's, that's really important to the sustainability of these sports. Um, yeah. Firstly, and then secondly, the kind of success when you look at the, the big picture, um, the you know, kind of headline metrics and all that kind of stuff. So well, The core thing you have to look at is with any program, with any technology, with any person coming into the sport the question you just simply have to ask yourself is can this person technology item thought make us better question mark mm. 
If yes, we need to embrace it. Great. Couldn't say it better myself. Thank you so much, Phil, for being on Sports Tech Feed. All right. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. I appreciate you having me on. There you have it. That was Phil Andrews, CEO of USA Weightlifting. Really interesting stuff and, and really love that he understands uh, connected fitness and at-home fitness is really a, a positive for the sport and the organization. It's not really a competitor in that sense. And, and that phrase that it starts with someone picking up a barbell is what they really want and then they can go from there. So growing that funnel, which feeds into the elite side, participation, kind of popularity of the sport, all that stuff. So really cool to see how technology is very central to their ability to continue to grow the sport, respond in COVID, uh, respond during the pandemic with uh, virtual uh, virtual events, and then looking future into the future as well. It's been great to have you join us again on Sports Tech Feed. Until next time, I'm your host, Thomas Loams. Looking forward to seeing you again. 